2 Corinthians chapter 5. You guys can go ahead and <clears throat> just kind of turn there and, and mark it. We're actually going to do quite a bit of scripture uh, today. So 2 Corinthians 5 is where we're going to start. Uh, but we, uh, we're, going to, we're going to see quite a bit of, of, uh, of scripture as we work through uh, the text today. And um, I just want to open up in, in prayer uh, before we get started. First of all, welcome to those who are, who are maybe visiting with us as well. Uh, this is a little bit unusual for a uh, for a normal Sunday, uh, we have a, a, a group of elders who functions in, in a plurality together, and we all are, are, uh, are able to teach and to, uh, and to uh, help shepherd the body. But we have a, a primary teaching pastor, Rory, who uh, has been gone uh, the last couple, of, uh, last couple of weeks. And so you're getting a, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a privilege or not to hear some of the rest of us, uh, but what a, um, what a great opportunity it is for us to be able to share. And it is a privilege for my standpoint uh, to be able to be up here with you and to, and to share uh, from you my heart, what I feel like the Lord is laying on my heart for you guys today. Uh, and uh, we will, uh, not too far from now, next week's the, the, uh, the um, service up at the reservoir, but I know if you're, if you're used to how we do things around here in the Calvary Chapel uh, model is typically to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through a book. Uh, we will be getting back to that shortly. We are, uh, we are uh, just in this process of a busy summer. And uh, so what a, a neat opportunity, though, it is to, to have others uh, from the body share with you our heart as elders for you, as shepherds, uh, to share with you what the Lord is doing in us and through us. Uh, with that... Uh, I want to go ahead and open us up in, in prayer, and, and as much for me uh, as, for, as for anything, that uh, I would just be uh, used by the Holy Spirit this morning. Heavenly Father, just pray that you would uh, be here with us. We know you are. We pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit with us here today. And, and Lord, I pray that, that uh, I would be able to get out of the way. Uh, Lord, that you would be able to speak through me. Lord, that I would not speak words that are not yours, that are my own, that they would be your words for this time, for this body, for this season. Lord, I pray for hearts that, uh, that would receive the word of God today uh, in truth and in power. Lord, you have brought us here. None of us are here by mistake this morning. You have designed it in your plan. And Lord, if nothing else, I take comfort in that. I know that you will work through this morning to touch us, to bless us, to speak to us, whatever you desire to do in our hearts. Lord, I just, I just thank you again that we can trust you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, speaking of trust, uh, this morning I actually... Uh, wrote at the top of my notes, I trust you, Holy Spirit. And I was sharing with Blaine uh, how this morning I'm going to go in a different direction than what I had planned uh, earlier this week. I'm going to take a little bit of a risk uh, and share with you from my heart. I'm going to be a little bit more vulnerable, perhaps. At such a time, a rich time with the Holy Spirit yesterday as I was preparing for today, and as I was dissecting Luke 1, which we'll just have to wait for another time, I just couldn't help the still small voice pulling me and uh, in, in leading me in another direction. And, and it's not long, as I mentioned before, we're going to be jumping back into our regular routine of going through a book together, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so I felt the Spirit leading me to speak on some things that, that He's been showing me. And I, and I want to emphasize that some of this may not always be free. Some of this is, is, is things that he's showing me, but I want to share it with you. And just like last week, when, uh, or not last, but last time I taught, when I, when I talked about the doctrine of the imminent return of Christ and how important that is for us to hold to that. And, and I think that this kind of flows out of that. It kind of flows out of even some, some of what the Lord started to do in my, in my heart when I spoke last October. Uh, and, and just the season of change that we've been going through in, in our church. And it's been something that's ongoing. It's a, it's a process. You, those of you who, who may be new, you may not be aware of all of that. Some of you who have been here uh, for some time, you, you probably know more what I'm saying. But we've seen the Lord bringing us through sovereignly by his will, his design, his plan, this idea about making disciples. And he's been changing us, and he's been doing a work in us. And I, and I can't emphasize how much that, that uh, this is so important to me. I spoke back in October about, about the stories 
uh, of, of our lives. And I spoke a little bit about our individual stories. And, and I spoke a lot from my individual story, but each one of you has a story too about what God is doing in your life, in your heart, where he's brought you from, how you've, how you've come to this point in this place. And then I spoke of the story of our church and, and what a neat thing it has been to sit back and we, and we can look back and we can see the Holy Spirit at very specific points doing a work and, and moving in us and, and, and doing some things that, that we can't take credit for. Only he can, you know, and, and to his glory. We don't want the credit for that. But we see that story as well, the story of our church. And then we see the third story, which, which has been going on since the beginning of time, and it's, and it's God's story about redeeming the world to himself. And, and the great thing is that all these stories intersect. They're not, they're not in separate stories. They're all part of one big overarching story, and it's his story. I think I mentioned it at the time, it's history, his story. But I've just been moved by that, and, and, and so as I was preparing today, I felt like the Lord was, was, was bringing this back around. And so I want to be faithful to that. These stories are intertwined. Your story, mine, our church, God's story of what he's doing on the earth. And this is where I want to pick up and resume for, from being almost a year ago that, that we, we did that teaching last October. And this morning I come to you and I'm full of thanksgiving and gratitude. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for God, this amazing God that we serve. I'm grateful for him and what he's doing I'm, I'm grateful for you. This today is not just another you know, kind of rah-rah message about, about our church or, or what God is, is doing. It's, it's, it's a deep-felt and heartfelt sincerity of thanksgiving to the Lord. So much has happened this year. So much has happened this past few years that have put us on the path to exactly where we are today, this moment, right now in history. This is where we are, and it's by his design and his grace and his goodness to us. We need to keep reminding one another constantly of the faithfulness of God. And that's partially what I hope to do today, is to remind you of the faithfulness of God. We need to exhort one another of what he's done and what he continues to do. It's a pretty incredible story. And like I said, for which none of us can take credit, not you, not me, none of us can take credit for this story. It's God's grace poured out on us, and I'm thankful for us, or for him, for it. God has set us on a path. And so before I, I dive in too much, I kind of feel like it's necessary to, to give you a brief overview in case I get a little wordy this morning, because we're going to cover a lot. And, and, I, and I don't want to mistake what I believe the Lord has laid upon my heart for you. And so I, I want to state it up front, and we'll go through each one of these in particular, but, but I felt like, like we need to understand our identity in Christ. And that's what we're going to be speaking from in 2 Corinthians 5. And, and, and then right after that, we're, we're going to talk about our need for the Holy Spirit. And, and finally, I'm going to, to wrap it up by talking a little bit about the cost of following Christ. And these things all feed one another. They all fit together. We need to understand our identity. We need to have, be full of the Holy Spirit in order for us to do what God has called us to do in order for us to understand that following Jesus is costly. And I don't think we can do it very well without a good understanding of the other two. So I want to start there. And if you guys are in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, we're going to just start right at verse 1. It says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, 
not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For if we walk by faith, not, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, I, I want to point out in that section, and, and, and maybe, maybe I'm alone in this, but the, but the more that I, that I walk, I begin to identify much with what Paul is saying. While we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. But whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And, and I think Paul understood this identity. He, t- he talks about it as this is, this is a tent. This is a holding place. But you and I were, were eternal. And when we, when we become awoken to that, we realize that from the beginning we've been made to be eternal. And, and those who, who aren't awakened to that are also still eternal. They're on a path, but they're, they're on a, a different path than we are on. I think Paul understood this well, too, when he talked about to live as Christ, to die is gain. And the more that I walk through this life and I see the troubles and the tribulations, the more uh, I understand, too, that my spirit groans to be with him. Does it, does it not? As we walk through, I, just this week, I, you know, I said I'd be vulnerable. So I, I had a, a visitation. I've been dealing with some arthritis in my, in my body. It's a, it's a, it's a condition. Uh, and I had the opportunity to go and see a specialist. And I, I've been groaning and aching physically. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, oh, man, this is great. I finally get to go and find out what's going on and, and get this resolved and get this fixed. And as I... Uh, as I went into that appointment and I saw the x-rays side by side and I could see the actual erosion of the bone in my hand and in my wrist and the other places that it's attacking. And, and I was expecting all this great news about here's what we can do to stop it. And, and, uh, and I just didn't receive that. I did receive, hey, we're going to do what we can here, but I didn't receive that. And I just thought, man, I, you know, my goal in this is to, is to get through and be able to be active with my kids, to be able to do you know, things that, that, uh, that I could do from my youth. I don't want to lose that ability. I don't want to uh, get to a point further down the road where I, I no longer am able and capable of doing uh, things to maybe even uh, be able to, to, to take care of myself the same way. You know, as, a, as a man, we want to provide. We want to do all these, all these things. And it just made me realize more and more how much I long to be with him, to put off this, this earthly body, to live as Christ. We're here, we're doing the work of God, but to die is gain. And, and I think that there's this, this thing that comes about as we begin to take on this identity, as we begin to understand that and own that, something else happens. Something else happens when we begin to really believe that those things are true. And I would equate this even to a time in my life where I began to read the scripture and I began to realize, and maybe some of you have, have, have seen this too, I began to realize if this is true, if, if what the Bible says is true, I, there's nothing more important that, that I could be doing than, than preaching the gospel. People need to hear about Jesus. If this is true, then people need to hear that. And I, and I remember it started out as a thought. It hadn't yet gripped my heart, but it started out here. And, and I think that's the same thing that begins to happen. When we grasp our identity, and I, I, wrote this, I wrote this down, but I'm not sure that there's anything more damaging to Satan's kingdom this side of heaven than a church filled with believers who understand their identity in Christ. Because you're unstoppable. You know, Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill the body. What's the worst they can do? They could can, they can kill you. But, it, but if you've internalized what, what this, if you own this, then, then even that is gain. So when, when, 
when Jesus says go and he sends us into a place that might not be safe or he says go among the wolves, we don't have to fear. What do we have to fear if we own that? And secondly, I, I think this has a profound impact. Understanding our identity has a profound impact on what we do. Because if we believe this, if we understand this, then uh, I've often heard this saying, and many of you have probably heard it, that, oh, he's too heavenly minded that he's of no earthly good. First of all, I want to say I don't think that's a general indictment that we can make any longer in our culture. And for me, I don't know about you, but for most of my life, I think I struggled with the exact opposite. I've been so earthly minded to be of any heavenly good. But as we begin to understand our identity, just like we begin to understand the scripture and we see that this is true, as the Lord transforms us and changes us and begins to to transform, to renew our mind, we begin to understand our identity. You know, Paul would have said to that statement, he would have said, that's hogwash, that's, that's rubbish. You know, when we look at Paul's life, we see a man who believed this to his very core. In fact, I was just reading about the account in Acts when he was in Lystra, and, and, and he's there, and they beat him, and they take him outside the city, and he's left for dead. The disciples that are with him think he's dead, and they pick Paul up, and he, and he breathes back, and what's he do? He goes back in the city, and he encourages the believers. And what does he say? He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Here was a man who understood that, that his life was not his own. And so as we begin to understand that, then I, I believe that we experience the same thing. We become unstoppable. Because the worst that can happen is that we end up in the arms of Christ. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him. I loved this morning as we sang and as we worshiped and I saw so many hands going up and I just felt in my own spirit, that Christ in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's what we're talking about. Christ in us. And so as we, as we put our mind on things above, as we begin to understand our identity, that becomes a, a, an, an important part of being able to walk through this costly discipleship. You know, I look around and I see it's not, it's not getting any easier in this world to be a follower of Christ. I think you guys understand what I'm talking about. I think you can, you can look and you can see what our brothers and sisters are, are facing in other places in the world. Just yesterday I, I saw... Uh, the um, Planned Parenthood protests, and there was one that happened over, over in Bend. I don't know if any of you participated in that, if you were over there. Uh, but those who would stand up for just the basic idea of life, just the vile, vile comments that followed on that Facebook article from KTVZ, some of them were, were just brutal. It's not getting any easier. And yet Peter tells us not to expect that it's going to be Easy. It's important that we have this identity figured out beforehand because we're going to face some things that are difficult to walk through. You know, lines are being drawn. I love it. Rory talked about, uh, about this a few weeks ago when he preached out of Second uh, Timothy. But one of the things that we're seeing is we're seeing lines being drawn. And, and to identify as a disciple of Jesus is becoming increasingly more difficult, even in our culture. And I, and I believe that, that that line is going to become more firm. And there will be, there will be some that, that decide to go this way of, uh, of the world, and there will be some that, that decide to follow Jesus. But it will be very difficult to stand and keep one foot on one side of that line and one foot on the other. You're not going to be able to do it. So it's important that we understand our identity. How does this also affect, Paul talks about how this affects how we grieve. If we understand these things, it affects all areas of our life. 
I love in 1 Thessalonians 4, he talks about, Do not be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. When we become truly convinced, as, as the Lord continues to do that work in us, as the Holy Spirit does that work in us, and we become truly convinced, it changes us. It changes what we do. It changes how we see. And and it gives us the ability to go forward in a power and in a way that we couldn't do before. I think I I mentioned this, but in, in, in Matthew 10, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father but even the hairs of your head are numbered fear not therefore you are of more value than many sparrows you see God loves us He's a, he's a loving father, and I, and I fear too often in, in, in my life, I maybe have judged criteria about whether something was right or whether something was the will of God based on whether or not it was safe. Maybe, maybe that would be uh, my willingness to stand up in, in a place of employment and, 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 to, uh, and to stand for the truth of God or... or Taking that back a little bit further, a long ways now it seems, would be back in school as I, as I was confronted with things and, and my friends and, and, I, and I felt called by the Holy Spirit to be a witness and yet I, I just couldn't do it because I was too afraid of the consequence. I think once we understand our identity in Christ, our fears of what man can do, that fear of man begins to wane. And like I said, when that happens, I think Satan quakes a little bit more. Because he understands that there's not anything that he can throw in front of us that will stop us from obeying and being obedient to the word of God. So, understanding our identity. Next is, we need the Holy Spirit. And I'm speaking to that out of my own experience. I need the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read from Acts 1. You guys are welcome to turn there if you want to. We're going to read the first 14 verses. But I think this is incredibly important to what we're going to talk about. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles from whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we see that this is post-resurrection, and he's, and he's spending this time. This is an incredibly powerful time. If you read the end of Luke, it's one of my favorite sections of, of any of the Gospels as it talks about Jesus interacting with his disciples during some of that time. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you, and I want you to pay attention to this section right here, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood up by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." And this last part I, I wanted to include because I, I think this is really relevant to what we, uh, what we have seen going on in our church, what we've seen uh, the Lord moving in our own individual lives. It says, in that day they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. 
And when they entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. It's, it's, it's fun to talk to family. It's a little bit different, I think. Uh, sometimes when, when I used to go and speak to Lapine, although I consider them an extension of, of, of the body here, but you, you guys are who I, I, I'm in fellowship with on a regular basis. This is, this is family to me. And, and I just love the fact that we've been able to look and see God doing some pretty incredible things. And as I said before, it has nothing to do with any credit that we can take. We have seen, we've been privileged to see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives. It's been an incredible privilege for me. I can remember three or four years ago, we were living up in the, in the Polish Homes Ochico Point development. And I used to walk around and I used to pray. I still pray, I still walk around, but I used to go out at night and I used to walk through the town, and I used to pray. In fact, many of you, I, I would just walk through neighborhoods, and I would pray as I walked by your home. I would pray for you, for your family. I would pray for our church. I would, I would just pray for this community, that, that God's Spirit would move mightily in this, even in just this little town. There's so many people who need to hear the truth, who need to know Jesus. And so as I would walk around and I would pray, I remember having a conversation with God. And I remember saying, Lord, I know what you can do. I've read Acts. I have seen and I, and I know of your work, uh, even in, in, for example, my family's ministry in Brazil. I'm no stranger to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I just began to cry out for him to pour that out on me. I said, I don't want to go through, I don't want to walk through this life knowing that there's, there's this power, that there's more that you have for me and, and to not experience that. And I can remember as we fasted and prayed, we began to see the Holy Spirit doing a work and, and, uh, and we began to see our hearts being knit together. I remember in my own testimony, which I shared with many of you, I began to develop a hunger for the word I never had before. That was a work of the Holy Spirit. He began to change me from the inside. He began to transform me from the inside. And as we continued to see the Lord do these amazing things, I can remember uh, the fast right before we went to the radical intensive conference where uh, where, as you know, the Lord just worked out the opportunity for Kevin and Rory and Jack to all meet one another, and that put us on a path to Nepal. And like I said, nothing happens by mistake. That was the Holy Spirit as well. But I can remember during that fast that I just, I, I, I had already, uh, all these fasts had been kind of consumed by what I wanted the Lord to do in my life, what I, what I wanted to see in this particular time. I can just remember fasting and praying and saying, Lord, I am so hungry for the Holy Spirit that I will not eat again. I will fast 30 days if I have to. If I just know you'll pour out your Holy Spirit more on me and on our church. And I was determined to do that. And as, as we fasted, I, I, I remember I started a few days early because I just, this was so heavy on my heart. And as, as the week progressed, I didn't see that, and I began to get discouraged because maybe in my mind I had an idea of what I thought that that would look like, what I, what I thought how God should move in this body. And as the week came to a close, I, I was determined to go on, and I felt the Lord say, it's not about how long you fast. This is my work. I do this. I know your heart. And so I felt released to stop fasting that week and to engage with the body. And little did I know what the Holy Spirit was doing. We saw people confessing sin and standing up and giving these incredible testimonies. We saw families being drawn to the body that had never followed Jesus the same way before. And that was just the beginning. And as, as God ordained the steps for us to go and to, and, to, and to open a door to Nepal, we began to become ascending church. 
And a lot of what we've seen happen in this, in this last year has been a direct result of the Holy Spirit's work. And I'm, and, and I'm not going to stand up here and take any, any credit for that. That is Him. That's the Holy Spirit. And I know that was the desire of all of us, to see Him at work. We exist to make disciples in our city of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. It sits above our door. That was something that was born out of this season of, of, of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Sending chat out. As we gather as elders, I don't know that I can convey to you guys the excitement of what we saw happen in that moment. As we gathered together, as we were working on this, and as we began to read the scripture of Antioch, the church in Antioch, in Acts, and we, and we realized all of a sudden, we, we all at one time were reading through this, and we suddenly realized as a group of elders sitting around this table, wait a minute, the Lord is going to send one of us out. It was so clear. I mean, who does that? <laughs> we're, we're, we're this tight-knit group of, of men who love each other. God's doing something incredible in our church. And, 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 the, and in that moment, the Lord says, no, I'm going to take one of you out. And, and we didn't even know who it was going to be. You know, it reminded me a lot uh, of that account. I, don't, I can't tell you what it looked like. We weren't there. But I can only imagine when the Holy Spirit at the church in Antioch said, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them to do. What did that look like? We, we don't know. How did the Holy Spirit speak that? But I do know what it, what it looked like on that night when we met together and we read and the Holy Spirit moved in that moment and he said, one of you is going. There's a church in need. You have five pastors. One of you is going to this church. And every one of us went home that night, maybe a little bit worried, Lord, don't send me to Lapine. But every one of us went home that night and thought, that could be me. And we, we mentioned it to our wives, and we all prayed, and I believe that every elder in that room had a willing heart and said, Lord, if it's me, show us. Show us. And we fasted and we prayed for, for two or three days, and we came back together on a Wednesday, and we said, who is it? And the Lord was faithful to show us Chad. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's just one example. You know, I listened to a sermon from Francis Chan recently. I might have shared with, with some of you this, but man, we look at this church in Acts and we see that this is an unstoppable church. Nothing's going to stop this church. They're stoning Stephen and he's looking up at heaven and he's saying, I see Jesus right there. I see him. You can stone me. You can, you can do this to me, but I see him right here. Father, don't hold this against them. They don't know what they're doing. And that, and that persecution just served to grow the church. You know, it was interesting because I listened to another sermon from David Platt, and I'm not trying to, to take from other guys here, but he just had such a beautiful example that fits here. He said, Satan wanted to, to destroy the church. He sees this guy, Stephen, the whole, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's going out, he's, he's preaching the gospel, and Satan says, I got this guy. And, and some young man named Saul stands over and approves of the stoning of Stephen. And here's the crazy thing. So Saul is persecuting the church. Saul is, is going after the church with everything he has, and Satan's right behind it. And as, and as Saul is, is ravaging the church, he meets Jesus, he gets transformed, and then, ironically, he ends up at the church of Antioch, which was planted through the persecution that he created. How amazing is that? You cannot write a better story there is, it, there's no other way to explain it other than the, the work of the Holy Spirit and the sovereign hand of God. Hear what Satan meant for evil, what Paul meant for evil. God said, uh-uh, you don't even understand. He says, and I just remember when he, when he talks uh, in, in, in Acts 9 and Paul goes uh, and uh, Ananias says, uh, God speaks to Ananias and says, I'm going to show this man how much he must suffer for my name. Paul, the persecutor of the church, becomes perhaps its greatest missionary. Certainly, the greatest missions movement of that time has spread the gospel to the known world happened through those circumstances. That was a powerful church. 
You know, we look at China, we see a powerful church. You know, the estimates of, of the church there range from being in the 1950s to just a, a million to five million believers. They don't know how, how many. But, but 50 years later, we see a church of at least 50 million believers and no organized church. Nothing's going to stop that thing. Communism's not going to stop that thing. Persecution's not going to stop that thing. And then Francis said, look at our churches here. They look pretty stoppable sometimes. Getting in an argument with somebody at church. I don't really like that guy anyway. I'm going to go somewhere else. Maybe you have a good speaker and, and, and he's a great you know, leader and, and a charismatic person and then he leaves the church and the next guy comes in and he's not as good and suddenly the church isn't, isn't strong anymore. Change the worship time. Move the date, the date and time of the service. What about the building? What if we end up having to remove a building? What happens to that church? We need the Holy Spirit. And we see in Acts that the Holy Spirit is power. We see this over and over again. And we see it as something experiential. And, that's, and I think that's kind of what I wanted to hone in on this. Is that the writer of Acts, Luke, he goes to great pains to show us that this is something that you experience. You know, in Acts 10, we see Cornelius, and we, and we see Peter going to the Gentiles, and we, and we see a physical manifestation. It was clear to everyone that they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 19, at Ephesus, Paul goes and he says, Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And he lays his hands on them, and they received the Spirit. We see Philip in Samaria in Acts 8. Just a mighty move of God. Here's another man who, who served as a deacon alongside Stephen, and he goes out in the Holy Spirit. He's full of the Spirit, and, and his Holy Spirit takes him out to preach the gospel. And all these people start getting saved, and it gets back to Jerusalem, and they send Peter and John to go down there. And the same thing happens as the disciples lay their hands on these men. They receive the Holy Spirit. And Simon the magician even sees this. He sees that the power is given on by the laying of hands, and he, and he tries to buy it, and Peter condemns him. He rebukes him and calls him out. In Acts 4, we see the believers pray for boldness, and this is perhaps one of my favorite examples of all of these, is that we see the believers gathered together, and they've been, uh, Peter and, and John uh, had healed the lame man in front of the gate, and the, the elders and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're unhappy with what's going on. They mistreat Peter and, and, uh, and John and tell them to stop preaching in this name. And they say, you have to judge between you whether it's right for us to obey God or to obey you. But we must obey God. And so they're warned, they're beaten, they go back, they share with their friends, the church is gathered together, they share with them what's happened, and what do they do? They get together and they pray. And they ask for the Holy Spirit. They ask for God to continue to move mightily and, use, and to stretch out a hand of healing and, and to continue to do signs because people are getting saved. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the place where they were standing was shaken. It's power. You know, even the example of, of Jesus... In Luke 4, as he goes, as, as, as he's baptized by John, and the Spirit descends upon him, he's immediately taken to a time of temptation in the desert. And in, and in Luke, we see that it talks about how he was full of the Holy Spirit when he went out to be tempted by Satan. And he endures this temptation. He's full of the Spirit. The Spirit is leading him and guiding him. He's full of the Spirit. He endures this temptation. And he comes back and it says he came back in a spirit of power. I told you I was going to be vulnerable. So I just want to do that for a moment. In my own life, I've, I've, I've experienced this more in the last four or five years than I've ever experienced I can remember during that same season of when I used to walk around and I used to, to pray around the community. It was a period of, of also prayer and fasting in our church. For those of you who are here, you know that we do that once a year. And it was such a powerful time. 
And the Lord was doing some very, very specific things in my life. I won't go into all of them, but suffice to say, I was, I was listening and hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit like I never have before. And one of the things he spoke to me, and I didn't realize at the time, I thought it was for another purpose and another reason, but as I'm reading through the scripture, as I'm, as I'm listening to all these sermons online, I begin to realize something. You know, so often in churches, we, we give people what we think are, are, are how to move forward in the Christian life. And we can preach and we can teach, and we talk about grace and the power of grace and how it works But so often we leave out the one thing that is so necessary for moving forward in the Christian life. And that is the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. You can tell people all day long what they need, who Jesus is. But but unless we we have an understanding and and a feeling of the power of the Holy Spirit, it won't make a difference. We're leaving out one of the most important ingredients. You know, if Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I leave because the Father is going to send the Comforter, he's going to, you're going to receive this gift, then that must be something that's really, really special and we should pay attention to what he's saying. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can hear some of you saying, "How? what, what does that look like? I'm going to be honest, I don't know. But I do know this. As I began to seek the Lord, and as I began to ask for the Holy Spirit, he began to give it to me. And that's perfectly in line with what's in the scripture. He says, if you as earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, and you who are even evil, you're not God, you, you as earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So today as you're, as, you're, as, you're, as you're asking that question, I just encourage you, ask him. There's no magic formula that I know other than to ask Jesus. And finally, I just want to step into the last part of this, which is following Jesus is costly. You know, we're all familiar with this teaching from Luke 14, 25 through 33. I'm just going to read it briefly. But as Jesus was doing ministry, often great crowds began to follow him. And as soon as the crowds got a little bit too big, he would do something that that would kind of scatter the people. He said, but those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, let them hear. So this is another one of those moments as great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with the 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, and this is something that, that the Lord has just been dealing with, with me on. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Surrender is costly for all of us. You know, I like to, to, to use this phrase, though. I've been ruined for the gospel. And by that I mean the things that used to hold so much sway over my life. The things that used to demand my attention, my time, and my money. That Jesus has just slowly but surely dealt with my heart. He's pulled those things away. This idea of whoever, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a heavy statement. And it's not a popular statement in our culture. 
in a, in a, in a culture that thrives on, on having, of gaining, of being. This idea of letting go is not an easy thing for us. In fact, it may be more difficult here than it is in, in many other places in the world. Maybe anywhere. I understand that. But here's the reality. If I'm not able to renounce all that I have, and if I'm not able to understand my identity in Christ, then how am I going to be able to go wherever God calls me to go, to do whatever he calls me to do? But God, what about my kids? What about my family? What about safety and protection and all these other things? I have to trust him with everything. Any illusion that I have of, of control is just that. You know, I could go and my, maybe my family, we could go halfway around the world and maybe we could be persecuted. Maybe we could be like Saeed and thrown in prison. Maybe we could be put to death. Maybe my child could be taken from me and put to death. But any illusion that I have of control, that somehow that that is, that is mine, is still just an illusion. You know, we could get in the car and we could drive to Bend this weekend. And we could be in a car accident and it would be done. Illusion of control. But at the same time, if I can't, if I can't get to this place of identity, if I can't get to this place of being full of the Holy Spirit, then I, I'm not going to be able to get to this place where I can renounce all that I have. I'd like to say that I'm there. But a lot of times we don't know our own heart until we're tested. I feel like my family, anyway, has been in a season of testing, chastening. And I feel like this family is also in a season of testing and chastening. It's been a, an amazing book so far that God is writing. The things that we've seen, the things we've experienced. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I'm so full of, of excitement about what God is doing in us and through us. As individuals, as families, we've seen some amazing things going on. We've seen him restoring, renewing. We've seen him empowering. We've seen him calling and sending. And that's an incredible, incredible gift. In, in the years that Stephanie and I have been married, we've attended a large number of churches. And we've both grown up in church. My wife has grown up in ministry. Her parents were pastors. My grandparents and great-grandparents were missionaries. We have gone through the motions of church. And we've been in just about any kind of church you can imagine. And I want to, you to understand that until this last few years, I have never had the privilege of seeing what God is doing, as we've seen here. And this isn't a pump-up Calvary Chapel. This isn't a pump-up Calvary Crook County. This is a pump-up Jesus. He is moving. And by his grace and his goodness to us, he's allowed us to participate in that. And I believe a lot of that is because we have, we have purposefully and intentionally been moved to set aside ourselves and to set aside our time and to seek him and to pray and to fast. And out of that, we have seen this discernible move from, from the first time that we started that until the moment that we're at right now. We've seen these points in history that are clearly God. Clearly God. The Holy Spirit. But it doesn't end right here. Kevin and I were talking about this a few weeks ago. Actually, after the last time I taught, we went over to his house and we were talking. And we were talking about this idea of, man, this would make a pretty good book so far, what Jesus has done. Just in this church. I know some of you are even here because you've been drawn to what you've seen the Lord at work doing. But I would caution you that this is just the beginning. I really believe that. And we're at a critical moment in that process. 
It's no different than the same process that each one of us faces individually. You see, as the Lord began to work in my life, he began to, to say that there's these things here, Aaron, that you need to deal with. There's these things that have to go. There's this chastening work that needs to be done in you in order for you to be useful to me because there's these things, if you don't let go of them, they're going to destroy you or they're going to destroy my name. How often the name of Jesus is blasphemed among the world because of Christians who, who have sin and things hidden in their lives and they, and they think that it's there and it's not... And it's not going to be known by anybody. And I just, even just this week, I'm thinking about the Duggar family, high-profile family. I don't want to go into the details of that. But, but, but at the same time, it's the, if we have this unrepentant, hidden things in our life, sin, things that we haven't dealt with, there's only so far we can go. And I'm so thankful, as I mentioned to you today, I'm thankful for for God and his work in my life. And I'm thankful that he caused me to deal with those things before he moved me into ministry. Because if, if he had not done that, I don't know what could have happened. I don't know. As we move forward, and we don't know what the Lord has for our life, my family is currently engaged in the process of seeking that out. We feel called to move forward. But in that, I'm just grateful to the Lord that this wasn't 10 years ago or 20 years ago before that refining work in my life. You know, there's one way to avoid all of this, and it's very simple. It's not to surrender to the commission and the calling of God. And from what I know of the people that I know in this room, I don't really think that's a very good option for us. God is calling us to something and, we, and, and we've been pleased to be a part of it so far. But as we came into this fast, I just want to share this with you because it's from my heart. As we came into this fast, we've seen all these exciting things and I just felt like this was a season coming off of this last one of change and of chastening in us that there are things that God wants to do in us, in our families, in our hearts, to prepare us for this, this mission of making disciples, not just here, but around the world. And if we're going to go across the street, if we're going to be moved to do that, if we're going to go halfway around the world, if we're going to be called to that mission, I believe we're called to that mission as a body, as a church. And if that's true, then surrender will be costly for all of us. And this is true whether we send or whether we go. In that same sermon I was listening to this week from David Platt, I just, he, he could say it so much better than I can, so I'm just going to read his words. If God has called us to stay and to send others, then surely he's not calling us to live a life of ease and extravagance in this world. Surely he's calling us to live simply and to give sacrificially so that as many people as possible can go. In calling us to sin, he is still calling us to sacrifice. To sacrifice possessions and pleasures and pursuits here so that more and more resources and missionaries and more gospel can get there. Where in the world did we come up with the idea that the call to Christ and his commission is a call to comfort in this culture? That resonated so strongly with me because that's the same work that God has been doing in my heart. And I believe it's the same work that he's been doing in many of your hearts. And he concluded with this, suffering may be inevitable, but our mission is unstoppable. Amen? So, identity want to come back to that because if we really believe what Jesus tells us if we really believe what the scripture says then I believe that we will be drawn to respond to him I believe that that he is doing something special at this time in this place and that we are just fortunate 
And, and it's his mercy and his grace that we able, are able to participate in it. But until we believe and, and we find our identity up above, it's going to be difficult for us to move forward. If our allegiance, if our view of life is based on what is in front of us here, it's going to be difficult for us to move forward to whatever God has called us to. And as I was preparing, and I'm going to close here. I know we've been here a while. As I was preparing this message very specifically, I felt the Lord laying Ephesians 5 on my heart. I hope you'll bear with me for a moment. And as I'm reading this, I just, I would ask that you would allow this to speak to you, to your heart. And I don't know for each one of you because I'm not in, 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 in core groups with each of you. I don't know all of the details. And, and even in that, I, I feel like the Lord still is calling us to be even more open, to walk in the light together. And I felt in light of what we see happening in our culture, in, in light of this, even the statistics that we read and we know and we understand is going on, even within the church, God is calling this church to something more and to a refining. So I'm going to read this, and I don't know how it might speak to you. And as we kind of close, and, and um, Johnny, I'm going to have you and the worship team go ahead and come up. As we close, I'm going to ask you to respond today to one of three things. First of all, if you're struggling with your identity, if that resonated with you, this idea of my identity in Christ, and, and, and I want to believe that, I want to understand that, I want to have this identity that, that allows me to live in a way that's unearthly, that's uncommon in this, in this time. If that's you, I want you to respond today. And I don't know what that looks like. Blaine and I will be available to pray with you up here. Maybe that's just between you and the Lord in, in your seat. But I want you to pray. And, and if the part about the Holy Spirit and the need and that for that, we need that, to, we need that power in our life. We need that. If you're struggling with sin, if you're, if you're struggling with, with being able to be bold in your faith, what does it say about the believers? When the Holy Spirit came on them, they were bold and they had power to proclaim the gospel. Maybe you don't feel very powerful in your faith. If that's you, the same thing, I want you to respond. And how you would respond is just to ask Jesus for the Holy Spirit. And third, and this is what I wanted to get to with Ephesians 5, is just in light of our culture, in light of what God is calling us to in refinement, I just felt compelled to, to bring this before you. And I don't know if it will speak to any of you in particular, and I'm not asking, again, for you, we'll be available to pray. You can, maybe this is between you and the Lord, but I'm going to read this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And this was the part that just spoke to my heart. You need to read it. And again, I just allow it to speak to you however it will. But sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthy, filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore you do not become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That is your identity. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as wise, uh, unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So we hit both things here. 
identity. Know who you are in Christ. The Spirit be full of the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want you to understand something. I do not believe in coincidence. I've seen too much. I know too much. I've experienced too much, and I know many of you have too. So today as we close, I just ask that you'd be honest with the Holy Spirit as he's speaking to your heart.